Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Good morning, everybody. Welcome, as always, to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. I'm your host, Josh Downs. And today we're going to be taking a look at 2 Nephi chapters 1 through 2. Hard to believe we're already into 2 Nephi. It's, it's going pretty quick as it always does. Uh, the theme for this week is free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator. And I love that theme and I love the scripture that's tied to it. And I often share a story in connection with it, one that I will share again this week as part of the episode today. Just a couple uh, quick updates. Um, I will be, moving forward, releasing the podcast, the transcripts, and the study and teaching guide at the very least a week earlier than what I have been, so that there will always be one in advance of whatever week it is that we're going through. And I want to do this in hopes of, of giving a little bit more time to those that are doing any kind of teaching or instruction for the youth that could use that extra time to prepare for their lessons, as well as just for any of those that want to stay ahead a little bit of where we are in the Come Follow Me curriculum. Those items will be available in the Come Follow Me monthly subscription plan starting next week, I would say. So be watching for those. Uh, please let me know, by the way, if you have any feedback on the study and teaching guides, uh, the episode structure itself, um, or anything else related to the podcast. I would love to get your thoughts and improve wherever you think that I can or any uh, look to implement basically any suggestions that you might have. And I'll also be releasing some of my first teacher's training material in the next few weeks as well. I haven't decided yet if I'm going to stick with the podcast format or actually just put uh, some videos out there. I think both have their merits, and so I'm working through the the kinks, deciding which would be uh, the, the best and uh, most beneficial to, to do and to put out there. But that will be there as part of the membership as well. Just a few things for you guys to look forward to in the weeks ahead. Now, here's the background for this week's study. If you knew that your life was coming to an end, what final messages would you want to share with the people that you love most? When the prophet Lehi felt he was nearing the end of his life, he gathered his family together one last time. He shared with them what Heavenly Father had revealed to him. He bore his testimony of the Messiah. He taught gospel truths he cherished to the people that he cherished. He talked about liberty, obedience, the fall of Adam and Eve, redemption through Jesus Christ, and joy. Not all of his children chose to live by what he taught. None of us can make these choices for our loved ones. But we can teach and testify of the Redeemer who makes us free to choose liberty and eternal life. And I love these chapters for that very reason. Lehi gives his sons and his family some of his very last fatherly advice that he will ever give them. They've been through a lot together. And I'm certain that these people that he loves most have been his driving force in everything that he did. If you remember, after partaking of the fruit in his dream, they were his very first thoughts and the ones that he wanted to share that fruit with the most. So I think it goes without saying and without question that he is speaking from his heart as much as he possibly can in these next four chapters. After a lifetime of serving and loving the Lord and his family, these are the words that he wants to leave with them. 
he was able to safely get them to the promised land. But his greatest desire, even more so than that, is to get them safely to the celestial kingdom. Now, as a side note, and as an instructor, as a teacher, especially for those that are and that will be teaching this material to students, these are certainly chapters that you can send your students or your kids or your family in on their own and have them pull out what they learn and love for themselves. If you set the stage for them, they can literally go anywhere in these first four chapters and pull out some amazing principles. In fact, that might just be a fun way to set up this lesson for them. Talking to them about a father's love for his children, uh, what they would maybe leave behind, uh, the last few things they would say to their loved ones if they knew their life was coming to an end. And just tell them that because of the nature of how powerful these chapters are and how much love they contain in the things that Lehi is sharing, that they can literally go anywhere. And I would tell them that. Just jump around, pick a verse here or there, just start reading and bounce around and see if you can find a couple things that stick out to you and then we'll have you share with us what you found. Those are always great ways to go about getting them into the scriptures and helping them learn how to fish for themselves, which is the best thing that any teacher can do. So again, if you're a teacher, maybe give something like that a try. I know that you won't be disappointed. One of the things that I like to do in sections like this is just come prepared to go a little deeper on a few verses, should the opportunity arise, but kind of let them drive the discussion. So with that being said, here are three principles from Father Lehi's advice that you can maybe look to spend a little bit more time on if you choose to. The first that I want to start with is in 1 Nephi chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. In these verses, Lehi begins speaking to one of his younger sons, Jacob. And he teaches Jacob a great lesson about the things that we experience that are hard in life. In these verses, he says, And now, Jacob, I speak unto you. Thou art my firstborn in the days of my tribulation in the wilderness. Lucky you, by the way. And behold, in thy childhood thou hast suffered afflictions and much sorrow because of the rudeness of thy brethren. Nevertheless, Jacob, my firstborn in the wilderness, thou knowest the greatness of God, and he shall consecrate thine afflictions for thy gain. And there it is, that line. Please, please, please mark that. Have your students mark that. Talk about that. Discuss that. No matter what we go through, he shall consecrate thine afflictions for thy gain. It's been a tough road for all of them, but especially for Jacob, who was young, very young in going through the wilderness and was very much in need of good examples in his life, especially from his older brothers. But he didn't always get that from Laman and Lemuel, did he? Yet despite the difficulties in his life, even while he's young, Lehi makes sure to teach him this great truth because of God's greatness and how good he is. He will consecrate, Jacob, your afflictions for your gain. To consecrate, I think that's an interesting word to choose. And I haven't always thought too much about it. But in preparing for this lesson, I wanted to understand a little bit better what that meant. And the word consecrate simply means to make or declare something sacred. To dedicate formally to a religious or divine purpose. And I think that is a very telling statement that brings a lot of clarity into what Lehi's teaching. He's basically telling Jacob that you will be different from what you've gone through, but you'll also be better as these things go through you. 
that God will take these challenges and as hard as they are and as much as you don't like going through them or want to go through them, because of who he is and how great he is, he has the power to take these experiences and make them something special, sacred even, something that has a divine purpose to them. That's a powerful statement and a powerful thought. And this is what Christ does. He takes broken things and he mends them. In fact, he makes them better. He's a carpenter of the soul. And one of my favorite quotes about this, Elder Orson F. Whitney, I think maybe says it best. He says, No pain that we suffer, no trial that we experience is wasted. All that we suffer and all that we endure, especially when we endure it patiently, builds up our characters, purifies our hearts, expands our souls, and makes us more tender and charitable. And it is through sorrow and suffering, toil and tribulation, that we gain the education that we came here to acquire. There are so many great verses that speak to this. Uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a small moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Another scripture you can write in as a cross-reference is Romans 8.28, where Paul says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. All things, even the hard things, even the bad things, even the difficult things. The Lord spoke very clearly of this himself in the Doctrine and Covenants when he said in Doctrine and Covenants 58.3, which is another great cross-reference here. I like putting all these in the same place together. Ye cannot behold with your natural eyes for the present time the design of your God concerning those things which shall come hereafter and the glory which shall follow after much tribulation. Young people, I want you to understand this principle especially because I know even at a young age you will and have gone through hard things. And I want you to understand God's power and ability to take those painful, difficult, hard experiences that you've gone through and make you better from them. Make them even potentially sacred to you. As an example of that, there's lots that we can look to, but one of the great ones is the prophet Joseph, who, as you know, went through one of the most painful, uncomfortable, difficult, discouraging periods of his life when he was confined in Liberty Jail, basically in a cold stone, small little cell, one that was too small to even stand up in during the entire middle of the winter, basically taking him to his breaking point, where in agony of the suffering that he is going through, he calls out to God and asks, God, where art thou? Where are you? How long are you going to let this happen? How long am I going to have to suffer in this way? The Lord's answer to Joseph is his answer to you and to me when we're in our hardest moments as well. Doctrine and Covenants, section 121, verse 7, says, My son, peace be unto thy soul. Thine adversity and thine affliction shall be but a small moment, and then, if thou endure it well, God shall exalt thee on high, and thou shalt triumph over all thy foes. And he brings a little bit of clarification to the blessings that can come from adversity in the following section, when he, in section 122, verse 7, says, and if thou should, shouldest be cast into the pit or in the hands of murderers, and the sentence of death passed upon thee, if thou be cast into the deep, if the billowing surge conspire against thee, 
if fierce winds become thine enemy, if the heavens gather blackness, and all the elements combine to hedge up thy way, and above all, if the very jaws of hell shall gape open the mouth wide after thee, know thou, my son, that all these things shall give thee experience, and shall be for thy good. All these things shall give thee experience, and be for thy good. Elder Maxwell, um, a while back, referencing Joseph's writings on this most difficult experience, said, Concerning his personal suffering, Joseph was promised, Thy heart shall be enlarged. An enlarged Joseph wrote from Liberty Jail, It seems to me that my heart will always be more tender after this than it ever was. I think I never could have felt as I now do if I had not suffered. Did you catch that statement? Joseph was beginning to have his suffering, his afflictions become consecrated for his gain. It was beginning to become sacred to him. In fact, Liberty Jail by many prophets has been referenced as a temple prison for that very reason. Speaking of Elder Maxwell is another example um, he also was known for his profound empathy and love for others during his time as an apostle. Elder Maxwell believed that his single cause as a witness of Jesus Christ included developing an ability to love all people with an understanding heart. And his personal tutoring in empathy began early after painful childhood experiences. Elder Holland once referenced one of those challenges that Elder Maxwell went through when he said of Elder Maxwell's compassionate writings, I seem to hear the echoed accents of a boy who has known the anxiety of a severe case of acne. What scarred the skin seems to have softened the heart. I remember having a terrible case of acne myself back when I was much younger, and I think it also had that effect on me in helping to, to shape my, my heart to be more soft and compassionate for others in what they're going through. That's what God does. He can take these painful experiences and help us to learn from them. He can make us better from them. Another example that came to mind for me was my daughter, my youngest daughter, Michaela, who one day while she was very little, I think she was in about fourth grade at the time, came home from school just like she always did every day. And I'd always ask her, hey, Michaela, how was your day? And she said what she usually would say, which is, oh, it was good, Dad. But then she added this little thing to it. She said, uh, except, Dad, my teacher had me come in during recess today to work on math. I thought, oh, okay, well, that happens. I said, I'm sorry, sweetheart. Uh, just got to do what your teacher you know, wants you to do. Maybe you need to get caught up on something, but you know that's okay. Well, the next day, she came back home from school and said basically the exact same thing. It was a good day, Dad. Oh, but by the way, my teacher made me come in again from recess to work on math. I thought, oh, that's too bad. That kind of stinks. Man, two days in a row, all right. Well, then she told me the same thing on the third day, and then the fourth day, and then the fifth day. And I remember thinking at this point, okay, I have to have a talk with this teacher because, I mean, you can mess with a lot of different subjects in school. I mean, English, math, science, history, but you do not mess with recess. That is like sacred ground. Speaking of sacred things, recess is sacred time. So I reached out to her teacher just to kind of find out what was going on. And I had the most interesting conversation with her. She told me something that I was not prepared to hear when I asked her about why Michaela was having to stay in during recess. She said, oh, I haven't been asking Michaela if she could stay in during recess. She's been asking me 
if she could stay in during recess. And I thought, well, that's a much different story than the one that my daughter's been telling me. So I went back and I talked to Michaela and pulled her aside and just said, Michaela, this is what your teacher's telling me, that you're the one that's been asking to stay in during recess. And she kind of put her head down. I was like, yeah, yeah, Dad, I, I have been. And I said, Michaela, how come? I know that you don't like math that much to miss recess for it. And then she proceeded to tell me something that just broke my heart as a father. She said, Dad, I just, I don't have anybody to play with out at recess. There's, I just, I walk around, I watch others play and, and nobody ever invites me to play. I don't really have any close friends. And so it's just been hard. And again, my, my heart just broke for her thinking of my daughter walking around surrounded by kids, but feeling completely alone. And I did my best to encourage her to build her up, um, hoping that she could just, you know, insert herself into some of these friend groups. I knew she knew people. I just didn't know it had been this hard for her. And I just didn't know what else to do, but just encourage her that it would get better. And it didn't, not for a long time. It was about half the year through before she came home one day and told me, finally, Dad, guess what? And I said, what, Michaela? She said, I made a new friend today. And my heart just leaped for joy. And she said, recess is fun again, Dad. We, we play, we came up with games. It was so great. She told me all about her new friend. Now, I knew though, as her father, that I needed to use this painful experience as a teaching moment. I knew I needed to try to turn it into something good for her. And so after she got through telling me excitedly about her new friend, I said, Michaela, I'm so happy for you, but let's talk for just a moment about what you've been through. I said, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. Feeling alone and being alone is so hard and so painful. If I could have been there every day to, to play with you, I would have. But what can we take from that? What can you take from that that would be something that would be good? And she kind of looked at me strangely and said, God, that I, like nothing good could come from what I went through. And so I had to push her a little bit. And finally, we came to the conclusion, she came to the conclusion that, well, Dad, I, I guess I now know what it feels like to be alone. I said, yeah, you do. And because you know what that feels like, what now will you see a little bit better out there at recess that most of the others don't see or that maybe you didn't even see yourself before? She said, well, I guess I'll see others that are alone, Dad. I said, exactly. That's the value of some of the hard things that we go through. You will see them a little bit more clearly, others that are going through something similar. And because you see what they're going through, what will you know that they're feeling? Well, I, I will know that they're feeling like I did, Dad, that they're feeling alone. I said, yes. And because you know that and you know how painful that is, what will you naturally want to do for them? She said, I want to help him, Dad. I want to help him feel better. I said, that's the value right there of the difficult things that we go through in life. And I would challenge you to do just that. Well, I didn't expect her to take my challenge as seriously as she did, but she sure did because a couple days later she came back and said, Dad, guess what? And she showed me this little toy plastic tiger that she had, a little like rubber tiger you put on a pencil or something. She said, my friend and I had been collecting a lot of these over the, the year through rewards for good behavior and, and stuff. And, and we thought it would be great to take some of these out at recess and just give them to other kids that we saw that were alone as well. And she said, we went around and saw some kids sitting by themselves and we gave them one of our, our toys and treats and asked them if they wanted to play. She said, we made some great new friends, Dad. Although she did point this out. She said, but most for the most part, 
any of the boys that we went up to and, and started to talk to, they just ran away from us. <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's okay, Makeda. That's what happens in elementary. It'll be quite the opposite thing in, in high school later on in life. So that's all right. Don't take it personal. But I was so proud of her for what she had done and what she had learned from her painful experience. And young people, I want you to understand that, that maybe the things that you're going through are actually shaping you to be in a position to help others a little bit better that are going through something similar. After all, if God wants us to really be able to help his children, don't we need to be able to relate with them? Don't we need to understand what they're going through? Isn't this one of the reasons that God points out to Joseph in the midst of his trials that the Son of Man hath descended below all things? Art thou greater than he? Almost as if to say and equate greatness with the things that we descend below, maybe with the suffering that we go through. Maybe that really is where we develop the eyes to see, the heart to feel, and the hands to help that we need to make a difference in the lives of others. In fact, I know that I personally can testify of that truth. I would not be doing this podcast, be doing any mentoring, coaching, or speaking, certainly as much as I am, Um, I would not be helping as many people. I would not be near as compassionate or helpful or have as much empathy as I do had I not been through the things that I've gone through with my divorce and some of the things that have happened afterwards and other experiences I've had in my life. As painful as those things were and as much as I hated going through them at the time, I can testify of God's ability to take those experiences and make them into something special, sacred even. I know that's what he's done for me. In referencing all these things, I would invite you to consider the story of the tiny seed and how it relates to this and how it especially relates to you and whatever you're going through currently in your life. And it goes like this. It's there, a tiny seed, trampled and broken underfoot along the path, dormant, unnoticed and buried under the cold, rocky soil, rotting leaves and dead branches. During this seemingly dark, lifeless season, God warms the earth with rays of light streaming through tree branches laid bare by autumn's frost. Winter drops, temperatures, snow, ice, bringing down more rubble, but the light continues to stream through. Buried beneath the soil and rubble, the tiny seed is awakened by the nurturing warmth of hope brought by light. For months, the tiny seed lay lifeless. Now its hard shell is aroused by light's whispers of hope. The tiny seed wants out of its dark place. With every ounce of strength, the tiny seed sprouts a stem and pushes upward. After days of light's penetrating rays warming the ground, the tiny seed is drawn out of the darkness, its bruised head and stem dancing with the wind. The tiny seed not only feels the hope of light in the darkness, but now sees light face to face. And soon the morning dew drips from the tiny seed's petals, like a face filled with tears of gratitude and great joy. Exhilarated by light delivering it from darkness, the tiny seed can contain itself no more. The tiny seed bursts open its petals and prays, Look what God has done. I am free. I am free. Just look what I've become. (laughs) I love that little simple story. And parable really god's given us a pattern in all things even in something as simple as the growth that comes from a tiny seed these are all examples everything i've shared with you about how our suffering 
with God's help and power, can be consecrated for our gain. Now, I want to spend a little bit more time on this one and help you to see that those things that are hard at times in life aren't necessarily trying to break you, young people, as much as they have the potential to make you. Make you into something that only God fully knows that you can be. But we need to learn to see those experiences that way for them to fully have that effect in our lives. A man by the name of Alphonse Carr once said, We can complain because rose bushes have thorns or rejoice because thorns have roses. And I know that's the way that I want to be and the way that I am learning to become with every passing difficulty I face. And I know that you can too. A few questions for you to consider in relation to this principle is number one, what experiences would be on your short list of some of the hardest things that you've been through in your life? And can you hear God speaking to you through Lehi's words to Jacob about those things? How might your afflictions be consecrated for your gain? How have they been consecrated for your gain? How are you different because of them? How are you better because of them? How has your empathy for others grown because of the suffering that you've experienced? How might someone's suffering become sacred to them or consecrated to them? As I referenced, Liberty Jail has been referred to as a temple prison for that very reason. And I know that at some point, in some way, your challenges and your difficulties, your dark days, can be seen in the same light. Lastly, how can you better come to trust God's plan for you and His ability to consecrate your afflictions for your gain and even make them become sacred to you? Now for principle two, we're going to focus on chapter two, verse 11, opposition in all things. All these are kind of connected today, if you notice. They kind of go together. All of Lehi's words just do beautifully. But in verse 11, Father Lehi points out to his children a truth that every single one of us would do well to remember in making our personal journey through life. In verse 11 of chapter 2, he says, For it must needs be that there is an opposition in all things. If not so, my firstborn in the wilderness, righteousness could not be brought to pass, neither wickedness, neither holiness nor misery, neither good nor bad. Wherefore, all things must needs be a compound in one. Wherefore, if it should be one body, it must needs remain as dead, having no life, neither death, nor corruption, nor incorruption, happiness, nor misery, neither sense, nor insensibility. And he goes on to teach Jacob about the plan of salvation as it relates to opposition in all things. It's also referred to as the principle of resistance. And by divine design, you and I live in a world of resistance, a world of opposition. Opposition, opposition is a, a natural law. There are basically opposing opposites in almost every aspect of life. If you look for them, you'll see them. We experience this opposition, in fact, each and every day. Just in the way that even the days are designed. There's day, there's night, and then there's right, there's wrong, there's good, there's evil, there's honesty, there's deception, there's love, there's hate, there's rich, there's poor, there's weakness, there's strength, arrogance, and humility bitter and sweet, now or later, today, tomorrow, Republican, Democrat, chocolate, vanilla, everything has its opposite. Can you see that? And this is by design for several reasons. But 
One is that in order for us to grow, there must be an opposing force that promotes this growth. That's the law. It is absolutely critical then that we understand there will always be resistance whenever we try to improve anything in our lives. You can expect to feel that pushing against you. And we see this play out in a similar way whenever a bird hatches from its egg. It's the shell that basically separates the bird from its constricted way of life to a new and exciting experience full of possibilities. But before it can get there, it has to break through the shell. And it's a process that can take hours or even days. But little by little, that baby bird chips away at the shell until it finally breaks through. It's not an easy process, but it's one that is necessary to help the bird make the transition into its new life and to be prepared for it. So, young people, remember, whenever you or I try to grow or improve or change for the better, we can expect a similar process to play out in our life. Growth never comes easy. There will always be resistance or opposition to it. I know it can be easy. I've made the mistake myself of thinking at times, why can't we just have it be sunny all the time? Why do we need to have these gloomy, dark, dreary, rainy days? Well, I want to ask you a question. Is it possible to have too much sun? Too many good things? Too many good days? Too much good weather? Now, your initial thoughts might be a little like mine. Well, no, I, I don't think I would ever complain about having too much sun or too much good weather. However, I, I had a friend share with me the lines from an old country song a while back called Desert by Jameson Rogers. And there's a line in it that simply says, sunshine all the time just makes a desert. <laughs> and that line and thought actually hit me pretty hard. Have you ever been through a desert? I mean, if you have, then you know the answer is yes. It is possible to have too much sun. In fact, there's a place just outside of Las Vegas that you pass through on your way to California called Death Valley. And I remember passing through that many times as a kid. And there's, in fact, a gas station there with a giant thermometer always showing the current temperature because, well, Death Valley is known for its extreme heat. It's North America's and really the world's driest and hottest spot with fewer than two inches of rainfall annually. It holds the, the world record for the, the highest temperature ever recorded at 134 degrees Fahrenheit. And it also has the lowest elevation on the continent of 282 feet below sea level. If you want an example personally of what too much sun can do, just take a drive. Just go as quickly as you can through Death Valley. You don't want to get stuck there. You see, for flowers and plants to grow, they need both water and sun. Just sunshine and they would dry up and die. They need the rain as much as they need the sun. They need the cloudy days as much as they need the sunny days in order to grow to their full potential. And this is just another pattern that God has put in place to teach us about life. Yes, we want and need sun, but we also need a good bad day or two here or 10 once in a while. We need a few dark clouds and rainstorms to reach our full potential. We need the bad days along with the good. Elder Dallin H. Oaks once taught that sometimes our needed path is achieved better by suffering and adversity than by comfort and tranquility. In fact, that pattern is provided in our physical growth and development as well, and it testifies of that end. 
There is no way that you or I can grow stronger physically without experiencing opposition and resistance to whatever it is that we want to grow stronger in. I have to learn to push against that weight. I have to push against gravity whenever I exercise. It is hard. It is painful. But I have to take my muscles basically to the breaking point through that opposition. In fact, that's what science even refers to or says, that they must be broken down so that they can be built back stronger. I have to take them to the point of exhaustion and even failure. But that's why we do it. And that's why God allows it. But we always have a choice. It's up to us whether to push against the resistance and opposition or to be overcome by it. As Lehi points out in verse 14, And now, my sons, I speak unto you these things for your profit and learning. For there is a God, and he hath created all things, both the heavens and the earth, all things that in them are, both things to act and things to be acted upon. I think that's a great phrase to end this principle with. Because you see, God intends for us to act, not to be acted upon. Because it's in the acting, the pushing against the opposition and choosing to move in spite of it that we grow and experience the benefits of the opposition that this world has in it. And as the opposite to that, when we do nothing, well, that's when we get stuck. That's when we experience the drawbacks of opposition. We must choose to act in spite of the opposition that we face. And young people, I hope that you can internalize this understanding, these principles. Understand that there will be opposition, that there are going to be difficult moments, experiences, days, weeks, months, maybe even years. But in that opposition, you always have a choice. You may not always be able to choose what happens to you, but you can always choose how you happen to it. Because God has made things to act and things to be acted upon. I always want to make sure that I use my agency to act and not to be acted upon. A couple of key questions for you to consider about this one. Number one, why do you think opposition is so important and a part of God's plan? Again, it is everywhere, isn't it? Number two, how have you experienced opposition in your life recently? And from what's been shared and discussed here, why is it important to understand this principle, especially as a young person? How can understanding the law of opposition help you to face rainy days a little bit better? How can understanding the law of opposition help you to appreciate sunny days a little more? How can you better choose to act and push against the resistance and opposition that you face? I think this is a good question to consider. Who do you know personally that has been a great example to you of handling the opposition that they have faced in life? with faith, courage, and hope. It's good to see examples like that so we kind of get a, a, a view of, of how we should be when we face adversity and opposition. And lastly, how can Christ help us when facing opposition in life? Now for our third and final principle today, we're going to go right with the theme, wherefore men are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator. Now, I remember back when I was a teacher, I'd always give my students, whenever we talk about kind of the purpose of life or God's plan, a lot of times I'd start out by giving them a test. And I would tell them, 
before I pass out this, this piece of paper with the test on it, that if you could pass this test, then you could pass the test of life. And it is only a one question test and it's multiple choice. So your chances of passing are pretty good. You got a 50, 50 chance here of passing this test and therefore passing life. <laughs> As I kind of build up the, the test, get the students a little excited for it. Then I then pass out the papers, tell them to, to turn it face down so they couldn't see the question on the other side. And then I tell them to start. They turn over the paper and read the question. A lot of times they just look at me a little strangely like, what does this have to do with passing the test of life? But the, the question that was on the other side of the paper was just simply this, repent or suffer? And there were two boxes and they could choose one. <laughs> that was it. And then we'd have this discussion about how in a very real way that this is the test of life. We have a choice. We can choose to repent and allow the suffering of Christ through his atonement to meet the demands of justice for us, or we can choose to suffer ourselves. Now, I don't know about you, but I would much rather choose to repent if the choice is really that simple. And in many ways it is. And that, in, in a lot of ways, is what Father Lehi is trying to teach his kids here with this verse, where he says, basically, listen, you guys, there are one of two choices that you have to make. Wherefore, in verse 27, men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given them which are expedient unto man, and they are free to choose either liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil. For he seeketh that all men might be miserable like unto himself." And now, my sons, I would that you should look to the great mediator and hearken unto his great commandments and be faithful unto his words and choose eternal life according to the will of his Holy Spirit. You have one of two choices, and I hope that you choose Christ. Now, I remember, and I've shared this many times in other podcast episodes, an experience that I had with one student of mine in particular years ago. This particular student, I could tell in coming into my class, she was a little rough around the edges. Kind of the, the kid that, that bucked at authority and control and basically rules of any kind. It was clear that she was a little rebellious, I guess might be the right word. Yet we quickly developed a fun relationship in class. I, I kind of liked the kids that were on the edge just a little bit. I understood them. I, there was always, I could see a little bit of a fire in them and I liked that. I just wanted and, and hoped to temper and channel that fire just a little bit in good ways so that they could avoid getting burned. And just about every day, whenever we would discuss a, a religious commandment or general rule or way of living or guideline, she wouldn't hesitate to bring up how controlling faith and religion was and how she didn't like it. <laughs> We'd go back and forth in class a bit, mostly in fun ways. I could tell that she liked and respected me because I genuinely liked and respected her. Although we disagreed, we still found common ground through respect, and we liked to tease each other a bit. She was a great girl, and over the course of the semester, we continued to develop a mutual respect for each other and friendship. She didn't always come every day, but when she did, I went out of my way to make her feel how glad I was that she was there and how much I valued her as a person and as a student. And I think it was enough to keep her occasionally coming back. However, at one point during the second semester, I noticed that she was absent more than her usual day or two here and there. She was gone for almost an entire week. 
It was Friday and I hadn't seen her yet and I was sitting at my desk getting ready for my next class when the phone rang. And as I picked it up, I could hear the soft crying of a woman's voice. I said hello and she composed herself and said, Is this Brother Downs? I said it is and she identified herself as my missing student's mother. She then informed me of what had happened to her daughter and where she had been. I guess the previous weekend she'd been running around late with some friends and they thought it would be fun to shoot up some drugs, some heroin or something, which I assume they'd probably done multiple times before. However, this time, this student of mine overdosed. And instead of getting her help, her friends, afraid of getting in trouble themselves, left her on the side of the road, basically in the gutter. When she was finally discovered by some passerbys, she was rushed to the hospital and stabilized, but unfortunately was now in a coma. Her mother asked me if I'd be willing to come and see her and to give her a blessing, which I said, heartbroken now myself, of course I would. And as soon as school was over, I headed straight to the hospital that she was at and went to the ICU where she was being taken care of. I didn't quite know what to expect, but when I thought of someone in a coma, I always thought of how I'd typically seen people portrayed on TV and movies that were in comas. I imagined that I basically find her lying peacefully in her bed, hooked up to some monitors and machines like, again, what you typically see. However, that was absolutely not the case. As I entered the ICU, I could hear very loud moans and groans coming from one room, which happened to be the room where my student was. What I saw when I entered that room was anything but a young girl resting peacefully while others waited for her to wake up. Although she was in a coma, hers was more of a waking coma, is what they said. She was unconscious, but not rest, resting peacefully. She had to have her arms and legs strapped down to the bed so as not to fall or hurt herself or others. She was making very loud moaning sounds as she unconsciously tried to flail about. I could see scabs on her arms and legs from all the itching and picking that taking heroin can cause. My sweet student and friend, a beautiful girl, fully alert and functioning a few days earlier, was now fighting for her life. Sitting next to her in tears and trying to hold her hand as best as she could was her mother. I tried my best to comfort her and we talked for a while. I expressed my love for her daughter and that I would be happy to help and support her in any way that I could. I then gave her a blessing and got ready to leave. As I took this terrible scene that was in front of me in, I couldn't help thinking of all of our discussions that we had had over our semester together about how controlling she thought God's commandments and religion in general were. Before I left, I took one look back for a moment at the student of mind, and a scripture that I had taught her earlier in that year came to mind in that moment, and it was 2 Nephi 2.27. Wherefore men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given them which are expedient unto men. And they are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil. For he seeketh all men, that all men, might be miserable like unto himself. See, these choices that we make, they're not just about choosing Christ or choosing Satan. They're also about choosing liberty or captivity, life or death. I couldn't help 
but wonder in that moment seeing her strapped to her bed, completely unable to control her mind and body, if she would have thought that God's commandments and rules were still that restrictive. It's funny how at times God's commandments, uh, the, the general rules, guidelines, principles that we're given to follow might seem and feel restrictive, when in reality they bring freedom from restriction. It's just the opposite. We may be free to choose and make choices, but we are not free to choose the consequences of those choices. This is one of the most important truths that Father Lehi wants to leave behind for his kids to help them to understand that the choices that you make matter and that you really have one of two choices to make. You can either choose Christ, which brings liberty and eternal life, or you can choose Satan and the world, which brings captivity and death. But in the end, we won't have anyone to blame but ourselves because it's our choice. It reminds me of a short little poem that says, All the water in the world, no matter how it tried, could ever sink the smallest ship unless it got inside. All the evil in the world and every kind of sin could never damn the human soul unless we let it in. Elder Paul V. Johnson of the 70s said something recently in conference that really stood out to me. He said, When we follow Satan, we give him power. When we follow God, he gives us power. That's the difference in those two choices. Elder Holland, speaking of this, gave one of my favorite statements that just kind of makes you shake your head when you think about, yeah, how, how simple the choice should be and, and can be, yet how complicated we make it. Speaking of basically these two choices between choosing Christ and Satan or the world, he says, The future of this world has long been declared. The final outcome between good and evil is already known. There is absolutely no question as to who wins because the victory has already been posted on the scoreboard. <laughs> and the only really strange thing in all of this is that we're still down here on the field trying to decide which team's jersey we want to wear. <laughs> Boy, when you look at it like that, don't you just shake your head and wondering why do we make some of the choices that we make? Well, here's a few questions, young people, for you to consider to maybe help you better choose to put on the right team's jersey and choose Christ. Number one, what is the real power behind choice? What is it that our choices say about what we want and where we stand? Is it really that simple of a choice? How can we know that we are choosing eternal life through Christ? What are some of the evidences of that choice that can be seen in a person's life? What evidence might be seen to a contrary choice? How is choosing the world similar to choosing Satan? How is becoming captive to the world like becoming captive to Satan? I think it's important that we recognize that it's not just choosing between God and Satan. It's really choosing between God and the world. Satan basically encapsulates everything that the world is about. How have you experienced increased power and choice in your life by following God? How have you experienced a loss of power and choice by following Satan? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can see both clearly in our lives if we look for them. And lastly, what will you do differently starting today to better choose liberty 
and eternal life through Christ. Now, there, there was a lot there, and there's a lot more in those chapters than we certainly have time for. I'm excited for you to go through and learn as much as you possibly can just on your own and with your students if you're a teacher. Some of the best fatherly advice that could ever be given is found in these chapters here, including the statement in 2 Nephi chapter 1, verse 9, that inasmuch as ye shall keep the commandments, ye shall prosper in the land. I pointed out at the beginning of our study this year to watch for that phrase, and this really is one of the places where it begins to be repeated over and over and over. So watch for that. Continue to watch for that. That is one of the central themes of the Book of Mormon. Basically, keep the commandments and be blessed, reject them, and suffer. That's the choice that we have, and that's the choice that's in front of us each and every day. Well, thank you guys for listening today. I hope that's been helpful. As always, please remember that the transcript as well as the study and teaching guide will be available to be accessed in the show notes and can be found as well in the monthly Come Follow Me for Teens membership. And if there's anybody that you feel could benefit from this particular episode or just from this podcast in general, anyone that has teenagers especially, please consider sharing this podcast with them. I appreciate all of your support. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you sharing. I appreciate the work that you're doing to make a difference in the lives of the young people that you have responsibility for. And I appreciate all those young people that have joined us in the life that you're living, the hearts that you have, and the difference that you're making in this world of ours as well. As always, remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. This has nothing to do and never will with earthly wealth, power, prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness is how close a life can come to being like the Master of Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life, and He invites us all to come follow me. So, once again, let's follow Him better this week and become better as we follow Him. Until next week, everyone, thank you again for listening. I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens and for Parents of Teens.